Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Crystal, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program. This is a collaboration between the Lymphoma Research Foundation and Cancer Care, in which the Lymphoma Research Foundation has really been the architect and great support of this program today, and I will say more about that during the program. Um, and so today's program is, a, again, a collaboration with the Lymphoma Research Foundation, and we also um, also work with a number of other uh, cancer organizations, and actually it's because of that support, their, their interest in, in helping to spread the word about the program, and also it's a, in your interest in the program. We have over 528 participants on the call today, so you're a very large group of people, and you come from all over the United States primarily, both from uh, rural and urban and suburban areas, and we also have international participants today from a lot of countries, from Austria, Bangladesh, Canada, Caribbean, Netherlands, Croatia, France, India, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Taiwan, United Kingdom, and Venezuela. So really one of, I have to say, a great span of countries actually on the call today. Um, and so it's a bit of a global call, actually, uh, a bit more than a bit of a global call. It is a global call, actually, to some extent. And um, today's program is supported through unrestricted educational grants to the Lymphoma Research Foundation from the Celgene Corporation and AstraZeneca. And I really want to thank the Lymphoma Research Foundation and um, the, um, these educational grants um, to the Lymphoma Research Foundation for really the support of this program today. Now, we have wonderful speakers on the program today, and I want to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Peter Martin. Dr. Martin is Associate Professor of Medicine, Chief of the Lymphoma Service, Wild Cornell Medicine. And Dr. Martin is going to address overview of mantle cell lymphoma, treatment options for newly diagnosed, and key questions to ask your healthcare team. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Martin. Thanks a lot, Dr. Mesner. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks to everyone for joining this call. Um, you know, I think that uh, there's a lot of information out there about mental cell lymphoma. Some of it's not so straightforward, and, and some of it can be a little bit misleading at times, and so it's, um, you know, I think uh, helpful for people to hear about uh, different interpretations of mental cell lymphoma from different people uh, so you can start to uh, put together a strategy that makes the most sense. So I'll give a little bit of an overview about mantle cell lymphoma and a little bit of uh, background on um, how we manage mantle cell lymphoma at the beginning of therapy. So first of all, mantle cell lymphoma is a kind of cancer. It's a cancer of the white blood cells. The underlying biology of mantle cell lymphoma is a genetic mutation that results in cells that uh, cycle or proliferate or divide more than they should. And over time, that results in accumulation of these uh, white blood cells, mostly in areas of the immune system like lymph nodes or spleen, but also in the bone marrow, gastrointestinal tract, or in, uh, in almost any uh, place where we actually find uh, blood, which is you know, theoretically anywhere in the body. Interestingly, um, Although there's this sort of uh, genetic underpinning that results in unrestrained cell proliferation, what we find is that there's tremendous heterogeneity and some mantle cell lymphomas behave differently than other mantle cell lymphomas. And we're uh, learning over time how to differentiate between these mantle cell lymphomas. Uh, key factors include the rate of proliferation as well as um, the ability of the cell to uh, sense and respond to damage to DNA that might happen just spontaneously or as a, as a consequence of receiving chemotherapy. So certainly when we meet somebody with a new diagnosis of mantle cell lymphoma, historically it was hard enough just to confirm the diagnosis. I think now we're moving far beyond that, not just confirming, in fact, mantle cell lymphoma, but also trying to differentiate 
what kind of mental cell lymphoma are we dealing with? Is this a mental cell lymphoma that's growing very quickly or not? And is this a mental cell lymphoma that's likely to respond to chemotherapy or not? And so it's become a little bit more uh, complicated as we've learned a little bit more about it. But I think because of that, we're also able to offer treatments that are more appropriate. In general, when we uh, manage mental cell lymphoma, we manage mental cell lymphoma with the intention of minimizing its impact on somebody's life. And that can mean different things to different people. My job as a mental cell lymphoma doctor is to sort of integrate the uh, information that we have about the lymphoma, information we have about the person who has the lymphoma, and as well to put that together with the knowledge that we have about the many different potential treatment options, both their likelihood of um, shrinking the tumor as well as the possible side effect profile, and to put all of that information together and come up with a uh, treatment recommendation. Currently, um, it's common that in uh, younger patients with mental cell lymphoma, we will uh, recommend more intensive treatment regimens. Typically, these include a medication called cytarabine or ARAC. Uh, oftentimes, in the older patients, we do not use um, these more intensive treatment regimens, but rather we'll use something uh, called bendamustine. Virtually in every case, we add a a biological therapy called uh, rituximab. As we learn a little bit more about mantle cell lymphoma, however, we're learning that some of these more rapidly growing um, lymphomas and some of the lymphomas that are less likely to respond to chemotherapy may not, in fact, benefit from these uh, really intensive treatment regimens, and we may need to come up with alternate strategies. Similarly, we're learning that there are some lymphomas that grow tremendously slowly, uh, may take years or even decades to cause any problems, and under those circumstances, regardless of age, we might suggest not uh, treating a lymphoma very uh, intensively, even in a younger person. We've been working at Cornell with Dr. Jia Ruan here, who has led a study looking at um, a medication called lenalidomide uh, plus rituximab. We're building on that therapy now, and the goal is that we can come up with treatment regimens that are more broadly applicable that can be administered outside of academic research centers and may not have the side effect profile that um, intensive regimens have had in the past. After we uh, get through that initial treatment, the next question that comes up is uh, something called consolidation. Oftentimes when we treat uh, younger patients with mantle cell lymphoma, we consider uh, what's called an autologous stem cell transplant. Essentially, that's a fancy way of giving a high dose of chemotherapy. Obviously, that's most likely to benefit people who have lymphomas that are very responsive to chemotherapy. And um, there have been some uh, studies that have shown that when we give an autologous stem cell transplant, that can potentially um, result in longer remission durations. There are ongoing studies right now to try to determine who might benefit most from that consolidation procedure. So it may be that some people do very well with just receiving chemotherapy and don't, in fact, need the autologous stem cell transplantation. We don't currently know the answer to that, um, but there are trials that are uh, both in Europe and in North America that are trying to answer that question. Uh, lastly, we consider something called maintenance therapy. And this is likely to be beneficial in most people after autologous stem cell transplantation. It's likely also to be beneficial in many people who uh, do not undergo autologous stem cell transplantation, although it's a little bit less clear um, whether it benefits everyone to the same degree. And, uh, so there are some studies that are looking at potentially adding different kinds of medication for maintenance therapy, including drugs like uh, lenalidomide or Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitors like ibrutinib or acalabrutinib. So really the important questions moving forward as we try to do better in terms of treating mantle cell lymphoma are number one, to understand the biology of the lymphoma so that we can design treatment regimens that are, in fact, more likely to be beneficial so that we can minimize the side effects uh, in people not likely to uh, require treatments or benefit from treatments that are uh, more intensive. 
we are likely to, uh, as I said, we're trying to develop um, treatment regimens that are less uh, intensive uh, so that they can be applied more broadly. And we're trying to learn about who necessarily needs these uh, more intensive consolidation or autologous stem cell transplant regimens. Uh, in terms of uh, what kinds of questions are important to ask um, providers, I think the first question is really to um, go over the pathology information in a lot of detail. So uncommonly, um, mantle cell lymphoma can be confused for other uh, lymphomas. More commonly, in fact, other lymphomas um, are, in, in fact, turn out to be mantle cell lymphoma when more, more intensive testing is done. But a couple of key factors to look at are this um, marker called KI67 or KI67. This is a marker of cellular proliferation and uh, has been shown to be important in terms of helping us understand how likely somebody is to uh, respond to treatment. As well, another uh, marker that's important is a protein called P53. The gene that makes the P53 protein is called TP53, and some evaluation of that gene or protein is really important as it has the potential to significantly guide therapy. Um, so that's the first step. The other step is to really discuss uh, very carefully what are the pros and cons of intensive versus less intensive uh, therapies, um, what are the expected uh, benefits and what are the expected uh, side effects of both uh, options. Um, so I think that's uh, where I will leave it, and uh, Dr. Kamdar is going to uh, discuss what comes after that. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Martin. That was really an outstanding presentation and a wonderful way to start the, the program itself to set the stage for it as well, and I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Manali Kamdar. Dr. Kamdar is clinical, an assistant professor, clinical director of lymphoma services, Division of Hematology, Hematologic Malignancies, and Stem Cell Transplantation, University of Colorado Cancer Center. And Dr. Kamdar is going to address treatment options for relapsed refractory disease, emerging treatment approaches and clinical trials, and the quality of life concerns. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Kamdar. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. It's a pleasure to be at this forum uh, to speak about mantle cell lymphoma. Uh, my colleague, Dr. Martin, covered so beautifully the treatment options for newly diagnosed mantle cell lymphoma patients. We are now going to be shifting the focus to patients who have been previously treated but now have been diagnosed with relapse disease. Fortunately, over the last decade, a broad range of highly promising options are now available. So it is truly an exciting time to be involved in caring for patients with mantle cell lymphoma because we have improved outcomes drastically compared to what we could have offered them even five years ago. So in order to look at how to take care of patients when they relapse, I think it definitely depends upon how long has it been since the patient's relapse. It could have been three months or it could have been three years, in which case treatments, treatment options could definitely vary. Chemotherapy continues to be one of the many available options, although I would say the use of chemotherapy in relapse setting has now been dwindling thanks to many promising agents that are now available in this space. But sometimes chemotherapy options can still be offered to patients, especially if they have been in remission for at least a couple of years. Some of the chemotherapy options that can be offered could be a chemo called bendamustine, um, of course coupled with the immune therapy called rituximab. In patients who harbor the mutation called TP53, which Dr. Martin alluded to, these are patients who may have a less favorable course. So in these patients, there are certain centers that might advocate another approach to consolidate a remission and that approach would be something called a donor bone marrow transplant, also called an allogeneic transplant, once patients get to a second remission. However, donor allogeneic bone marrow transplant can certainly be sometimes fraught with acute as well as long-term toxicities. Previously, this was the only way to go about things, which was to give patients chemotherapy, followed by a way to get them to a donor transplant. However, in the last five years, 
thanks to a lot of clinical trials and research in this field, at least four new novel agents have now been approved in this space. For example, we now have a new agent called bortezomib. It is a drug that inhibits a protein called proteasome, so it's a proteasome inhibitor, and it has shown to cause responses favorably in about 30% of patients. It's given subcutaneously, so it's given under the skin, just like a shot, and the side effects are very manageable. There is another drug that Dr. Martin alluded to, which was lenalidomide. Now, lenalidomide is an immunomodulator. What that means is it, is it works to kill the lymphoma cells by targeting not just the lymphoma cell, but its microenvironment, as well as the immune cells and the blood vessels. It's a pill, so it's basically taken every day for three weeks on, one week off, and again, the responses in the relapse setting have been very favorable with very tolerable side effects. The newest entrants, though, in the space of relapse mantle cell lymphomas are these targeted inhibitors called BTK, or Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitors. There are switches in lymphoma that have gone awry, as a result of which patients get mantle cell lymphoma. Fortunately, because of research, we have been able to identify some of these switches. And one of these switches is called a BTK switch. We have now been able to get two drugs which can target this switch and be able to hush the growth of mantle cell. So one of this drug is called ibrutinib, and the newest version of it is called acalibrutinib. Both these drugs are approved commercially for patients who have failed one line of therapy. Both of these are pills. They're taken daily, and their side effect profile is very different than what patients may experience with chemotherapy. So, for example, ibrutinib may cause an increased predisposition to slight bleeding versus acalibrutinib may cause patients to have headaches or diarrhea for the first six months of taking it. Fortunately, the response rates with both these drugs are really very good. Nearly two-thirds of patients have responded very well to these drugs, and these responses are durable. Besides the four drugs that are now commercially approved, there are many other drugs that are currently being tested in the relapse space. For example, there is a new drug called the BCL2 inhibitor. It goes by the name Vanitoclax. BCL2 is a protein that prevents the lymphoma cells from dying and makes them very chemoresistant. As a result of which, if you inhibit it, it kind of makes sense that it overcomes that chemoresistance. In very early trials, venetoclax has shown to cause responses in nearly three-fourths of patients. Again, it's a pill, and it's very manageable in terms of side effects. It's taken daily until it stops working. So right now, it is something that we keep giving until the drug continues to work. The newest agent is now also something called the CDK4 inhibitor. Dr. Martin has done a lot of research here, and the name of the drug is palbocyclib. CDK4 is basically a protein that controls how fast cells grow and divide. And these proteins are highly overactive in patients with mantle cell lymphoma. So again, it makes a lot of sense to inhibit those. And in early phase trials, this drug has shown a lot of promise as well. The most promising option, besides the ones that I just talked about, is also something called the chimeric antigen receptor therapy, called CAR T-cell therapy wherein we engineer patients' blood that contains T-cells, and we make those T-cells, get them to be active again in the lab, and then infuse that product back into the patient's blood. And in early phase trials, it has actually shown to be very promising. Clinical trials are still ongoing with CAR T-cell therapy, so if anyone's interested, I would highly urge them to look them up at their closest medical center. It's, it's rather obvious that if these many drugs work in the relapse setting, then the goal would be twofold. Number one, we can try to enhance the response rates in the relapse setting by maybe combining all these different agents together. For example, Dr. Martin's group just showed that palbocyclib plus ibrutinib, if we combine them together, the response rates are nearly double. 
Similarly, there was another trial that also showed that venetoclax and ibrutinib was a rather effective combination with nearly 75% of patients showing a great response. The other goal, if especially these drugs work in the relapse setting, would be to see if we can bring these drugs earlier in the course of the treatment paradigm. For example, there are multiple clinical trials that are currently being conducted wherein we are combining ibrutinib with chemotherapy. So for younger patients, there are centers which are trying ibrutinib plus intensive chemotherapy. On the other hand, there are other clinical trials which are testing ibrutinib with pendamustine in the upfront setting. Similarly, Dr. Martin alluded to the lenalidomide plus rituximab as pretty much one of the most excellent combinations. I have personally given it to a lot of my newly diagnosed patients. It is albeit something that patients need to discuss with their physicians because it is more longer therapy. However, the data looks excellent. In terms of the novel therapeutics, these are clearly some of the agents amongst many others that are currently being tested. The other new thing that is up and coming in the world of relapse mantle cell lymphoma is evaluation of minimal residual testing. MRD is basically called minimal residual disease. It's the lowest level of detection of mantle cell lymphoma. So although the imaging studies don't show any evidence of mantle cell, now we have been able to identify based on gene sequencing how to identify even the smallest molecule of mantle cell before it raises its head up to actually have a full-blown relapse. There are many clinical trials that are currently being done with MRD or minimal residual disease as the primary endpoint. In terms of quality of life, I can say that therapy choice or therapeutic choice has to be something that needs to be a conversation between the patients and their physicians. It shouldn't quite be a one-way street because at this point, there is no consensus. You will go to, if you go to 10 centers, five of them will probably talk about intensive therapy. Five of them will talk about less intensive therapy. At the end of the day, it's about if we choose intensive therapy, then of course we are looking at more side effects, but probably for a shorter period of time in the hope or the bargain that the remission will last longer. On the other hand, if we go for less intensive therapy, then maybe the remission will not last as long, but the side effects may not be as intense. So a discussion is definitely key at this point in time. I've hopefully been able to outline the enormous progress that we have made in this field, and I would say every single promising therapeutic option that is currently available is because of clinical trial research that is done in this field. Clinical trials continue to be done to explore the most efficacious option, not only to improve upon existing standards of care, but we are having a lot of clinical trials that are currently being designed to hopefully one day be able to cure this very rare mantle cell lymphoma. Clinical trials at the same time, I think patients need to be mindful that it not only allows us to explore more novel therapeutics, but it also serves as a great opportunity for patients to avail the benefits of newer agents before they are commercially approved. Therefore, I highly encourage my patients to seek out clinical trials, not only at diagnosis, but certainly at relapse, because the field is just changing so rapidly. Um, I also believe that it is immensely helpful to get an opinion from a lymphoma specialist because mantle cell lymphoma is very rare. Probably only about 4,000 patients in North America have mantle cell lymphoma. So if they are being treated by generalists or, say, oncologists that treat breast cancer, lung cancer, with all the latest research that is happening pretty much as we speak, Generalists may not be privy to all the greatest and best things that are happening in this rare subtype of cancer. So to wrap up my portion of the talk, um, I certainly would like to leave, uh, I think, two things that I'd like to underscore. Um, please remember that the field is filled with promise and there are exciting times ahead. Um, seek out more information about clinical trials. LRF serves as an excellent resource online to help patients navigate through all of this effortlessly. I've myself talked to my patients about getting to LRF online, and they cannot rave more about how helpful it has been to seek their services. Um, with that, um, I'll turn this back over to Dr. Mesner. 
Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Kondra. That was really outstanding. It's all very informative and um, a lot of information for people, a lot of um, information about clinical trials and also the new treatments that are available. So thank you. And I know there'll be questions for you. There are questions coming in already. Um, so I know there'll be questions for both you and Dr. Martin very soon. Our next speaker is Ms. Peggy Interney. And Ms. Interney is the Chief Strategy and Communications and Engagement Officer of Lymphoma Research Foundation. And Ms. Turney is going to be uh, presenting to you um, about the Lymphoma Research Foundation's free programs and services, about their helpline and their website as well. So it's my great pleasure to this program with my esteemed colleague. And actually, I must say, not only esteemed colleague, but also Peggy Ann Turney was actually responsible for this entire program really taking place and uh, being supported and also getting such wonderful speakers. So I turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Peggy Ann Turney. Thank you so much, Carolyn, and thank you to Cancer Care for your continued partnership. I would also like to thank our esteemed faculty, Dr. Martin and Dr. Kondar, for sharing your time and expertise with us today, and for all that you do for the entire lymphoma community and for the Lymphoma Research Foundation. I would also like to acknowledge our sponsors, Celgene and AstraZeneca, whose support made today's call possible. Most importantly, though, I would like to thank each of you for joining us on today's teleconference. If you have any questions about the information you learned today, I want you to know that the Lymphoma Research Foundation is here for you. The Lymphoma Research Foundation is the nation's largest nonprofit dedicated exclusively to lymphoma, and our mission is to eradicate this disease and serve those touched by it. The Lymphoma Research Foundation is committed to advancing our understanding of lymphoma so that we can ultimately find cures. Our scientific advisory board, which is comprised of 45 of the world's leaders in lymphoma, guide our investment in research. To date, we have funded more than $60 million in lymphoma-specific research and are actually the largest private investor in mantle cell lymphoma research resulting in improved understanding and treatment options for this particular subtype of lymphoma. LRF offers a variety of educational resources so that you can access information in whatever way you may learn best. Whether you are newly diagnosed or seeking help with long-term survivorship, LRF is here for you. The Foundation provides comprehensive disease and treatment-specific resources, programs, and services all of which are offered free of charge and have been reviewed by lymphoma experts. Most relevant to today's call, LRF offers a variety of mantle cell lymphoma-specific resources. Our Lymphoma Helpline can answer your specific questions about mantle cell lymphoma, relevant treatment options, and clinical trials. In fact, our professionally trained staff members can run individual clinical trial searches for you based on your particular criteria and provide you with a list of questions to take back to your healthcare team so that you can have the most robust discussions regarding your treatment and long-term care. We offer a comprehensive mantle cell lymphoma learning center on our website, lymphoma.org MCL, which aggregates all of the relevant information you may need to learn about this subtype of lymphoma and become a more active participant in your treatment decision-making process. We also have a dedicated mantle cell lymphoma fact sheet and expert videos, which can be found on our website, lymphoma.org, or can be ordered for free through our lymphoma helpline. Our mobile app, Focus on Lymphoma, is an award-winning app that provides mantle cell lymphoma patients and caregivers comprehensive content, as well as really unique tools to help manage the disease. The Focus on Lymphoma app allows users to record doctor sessions, manage medications, and track symptoms and side effects. The app is available for free download in the Apple App Store and in Google Play, and I would encourage you all to download the app today. Last but certainly not least, for those of you who may be looking to give back and get more involved, I would encourage you to join Team LRF. We offer a variety of walks and rides for you to participate in, or you could turn your talents and passions into ways to raise funds for lymphoma research. Through Team LRF, you can meet others who have been impacted by this disease and join a community of individuals committed to impacting lives by finding cures for lymphoma. I really do hope that you will take advantage of some of the great resources and services that the Lymphoma Research Foundation provides. 
If there's one thing that you take away from today's program, please know that the Lymphoma Research Foundation is here for you. Whether you have questions regarding what you learned today about mantle cell lymphoma, or you need information about relevant treatment options or supportive care, you can reach out to the Lymphoma Research Foundation through our website at lymphoma.org or by calling our helpline at 1-800-500-9976. Thank you all for your time today. Oh, thank you so much, um, Ms. Attorney. That was excellent and actually a great resource. Many of you already know about the Lymphoma Research Foundation, but for those of you who aren't as familiar with all of the resources, um, and it, it really should be your go-to place, um, lots of great information for you to access there. Um, I'm going to say a few words about cancer care, and I'm going to take questions. Um, so please, some of you are already submitting questions, but have your questions ready to, to go so we can take as many of your questions as possible. Cancer Care is a national organization I'm providing services to all people with, living with cancer, hematologic cancers like mantle cell as well. And we um, offer those services both um, on the telephone and on the website. We offer individual counseling to people. We offer practical and financial assistance. Our individual counseling is both on the telephone or online, and we also offer both support groups on the telephone and online. We actually currently have about 138 online support groups for different types of cancers and also for groups for caregivers, groups for young adults, or groups for different populations as well. Um, all of those are accessible by going to our website, um, cancercare.org, um, or else by calling our 800 number at 1-800-813-4673. In addition, we have various publications and these type of workshops that we offer. And we do now have a um, meditation app. Many people find that to be very useful, of course, undergoing any type of experience with cancer, um, mantle cell lymphoma. Um, it can cause some degree of um, disharmony for you and to some extent um, nice to have a meditation ex exercise or something that you can do to kind of help you to kind of um, scale back and relax a bit. So those are things that many people find very useful. Um, and so now we do have lots of time for questions, so I'm going to ask um, Crystal to go ahead and explain to all of you how to queue for questions. We're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible, and if we do not get to your question at the very end, I will give you resources of how to get your questions answered. But in the meantime, let's see if we can't take as many as possible. So, Crystal? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And our first question comes from Catherine D. Your line is open. This is um, Catherine Dodd, and I'm five years out from a stem cell transplant autologous. And I'm wondering where you can get a minimal residual disease lab test and how much they cost. Thank you for that question, Catherine. Um, and uh, Dr. Martin, do you want to address that question? Sure. So I guess um, so. The the background there is that there are um, tests that are in development to look for that are more sensitive and may be able to um, detect residual amounts of lymphoma that might be hiding somewhere in the body that are not uh, visible on scans. The clinical utility of such a test might include something, for example, um, an endpoint of therapy. So, for example, if we could um, show that a treatment could eradicate disease beyond the level of detection of a minimal residual disease test or MRD test, then that might be something that's good. Theoretically, as well, uh, monitoring MRD through a blood test done serially, say every two or three months, we might be able to detect um, lymphoma coming back before it became uh, evaluable through a scan or, or clinically relevant through symptoms or other blood tests. The first... Um, so, so there are some commercial assays that are available. Sequenta is a company that does um, uh, do that test uh, uh, in a commercial setting. Uh, I don't believe that it's uh, routinely paid for. Some 
uh, pathology labs have developed their own um, uh, ways to do the test. For example, at Cornell, we're able to do that in a research setting. I think the key there is that the utility of the MRD test at this point remains unproven. In other words, uh, we have yet to prove that uh, we should necessarily be escalating intensity to eradicate all traces of MRD. That might be true. Uh, I think there's some evidence that that could be true. We have yet to prove beyond a doubt that um, detecting MRD at some point should necessarily result in an intervention. There's really only been one uh, trial from Scandinavia that looked at um, using rituximab maintenance depending on the detection of MRD. Uh, we have uh, currently a trial at Cornell that is uh, evaluating that. But I think in the absence of research that shows that it's really beneficial, it's hard for me to suggest to somebody that they should pay out of their own pocket, for example, to try to get that test uh, done. So it is, it is theoretically possible through some uh, research labs. It's, there, are, there are commercial assays that uh, can get it done. Um, what to do with that information, I think, is, is less clear. Thank you. And I should also say that please do ask your treating healthcare team about your request for help with the cost of this test because sometimes your institution or your team may have some resources unbeknownst to you and until you ask that question that they might be able to help you with in terms of, as Dr. Martin has implied, some institutions have their own resources for getting these tests done. So I think that um, would be very important. It's come up on other calls that we've done as well. and. Um, and sometimes um, um, also the team, of course, the healthcare team consists in your institution of your, um, you know, your, your doctor, your, the other members of the healthcare team, which include also social workers and, and financial specialists, and sometimes they can come up, or patient navigators, and they can sometimes come up with a plan for you as well. So please don't feel you're alone with this. And I think you could also probably contact the Lymphoma Research Foundation, is that correct, Peggy, and just to discuss options or what one might do when there are concerns about these, these type of costs as well. Yes, absolutely. Our helpline staff can assist with that, and we also offer um, a modest uh, financial grant to those who are in active treatment. Oh, that's excellent. Okay, so that's an excellent resource to know about. And so please do um, take advantage of that. Um, and also, uh, what many other organizations do provide uh, financial assistance as well. So you'd want to, when you call the Lymphoma Research Foundation, they will also give you other resources that they might be able to use. Um, you also can call Cancer Care. Um, and again, just for um, help with just figuring out how to get this need met that you really want to, if this is an important test for you to have. and um, whether there's some way to, that we can all put our heads together and help figure out what, what to do for this. So just to be aware of this, okay. Um, and um, our next question um, comes from one of our online participants, and uh, I'm going to read this question. Um, uh, and I will, uh, this question, I'm going to... Uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Kandar, um, so I was treated with lenalidomide and rituxan in a clinical trial for seven years. The tumors have shrunk almost completely and have been stable for more than four years. I stopped lenalidomide after three years. My question is about discontinuing rituxan. I understand that a European study had, has had patients on rituxan for up to 10 years. What are your thoughts of discontinuing rituxan? So this is an excellent question. I'm going to ask Dr. Kandar if she could just address this in a general way. And then, of course, we encourage you to go back to treating healthcare team for the specifics in terms of your situation. But this might be a question others have as well. And um, so if you could um, address this in a general way, Dr. Kandar. Sure, that's an excellent question. Um, so we talked a little bit about lenalidomide plus rituximab showing that excellent promising activity in mantle cell lymphoma, and it seems like um, the patient has derived its benefit. Um, it's probably, as I understand, she's been off of the lenalidomide for more than four years. 
Um, I think at this point, the consensus is not quite clear with respect to whether or not we should just continue rituximab maintenance. Um, you would probably get different opinions from different physicians. Um, I'm of the belief that beyond three years of rituximab maintenance, um, I am not somebody who would um, encourage more rituximab maintenance. Rituximab can sometimes be uh, fraught with neutropenia, so low white count. It can sometimes be fraught with upper respiratory tract infections. Um, yes, there are clinical trials that are still answering that question. Um, there is probably a lot of retrospective reports about doing rituximab for longer than three years, uh, but in my clinical practice, I actually uh, do not recommend that, um, especially because of the slew of novel agents that are currently in this space. Um, I'd, of course, be curious to hear Dr. Martin's thought on this, uh, but on my end, I would say beyond three years of rituximab maintenance, I usually hold off on further therapy. Thank you so much. Thank you. If I mentioned Dr. Martin, do you want to comment as well? Yeah, I think uh, like Manali's, uh, Dr. Kamdar said, it's um, not really clear. I think that um, I certainly don't know the answer I don't think there is probably a single answer that applies to every single scenario. Uh, I certainly have a low threshold for stopping rituximab if I suspect that there are issues. Uh, thinking less um, about the actual time of it, whether it's one year, two years, three years, or beyond, and thinking more about the, um, whether or not somebody is tolerating it really well. I think that it's probably it's a little bit better defined um, when there are clinical trials that are evaluated in a very specific setting, but in the setting of you know lenalidomide and rituximab without some sort of other uh, chemotherapy, at that point we're really uh, I don't think there is a, a perfect answer, and so we try to make the best decision at the time with all of the information that we have. Certainly, if somebody's having a lot of infections, I would have. Uh, no problem stopping it. And I'm more inclined to say that now that we have better treatments that are becoming available in the past without a lot of treatments being available, I think we were more inclined to uh, push medications potentially more than we might have or more than we might now. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you both. And um, excellent. And, and um, I hope this is helpful. And our, um, we have another question from our online participants. Um, so the question is for Dr. Um, to start with Dr. Martin. For a patient is still in remission after RCHOP and two years R maintenance, still in remission two years since last treatment, four years since diagnosis, could that patient qualify to get retux rituxan in a future relapse again since they had such a good response and durable remission? Touching wood now. So. Um, uh, your thoughts about that, Dr. Martin, in terms of just um, in general a response again? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a great question that applies not just to mantle cell lymphoma but to virtually every B cell uh, lymphoma that we see, and it's a question that we often ask ourselves. I personally think that uh, the answer again is not so black and white. There are certainly scenarios where. Uh, people have had lymphomas that have been shown to uh, grow, in fact, while somebody's receiving an anti-CD20 antibody like rituximab, but can still benefit with uh, combinations using anti-CD20 antibodies uh, beyond that initial therapy. Certainly, if somebody's had a very good response to it in the past and has been off of it for a while, I would expect that it would have a role in the future. Uh, that's not to say that it's an absolute necessity, for example, there may be some uh, therapies like um, ibrutinib, for example, where they've been largely studied without rituximab. There's one study with rituximab. Uh, so I think it's, under those circumstances, you, you know, if there's a study that doesn't include rituximab, I would not consider that to be a, a bad study. It's a perfectly reasonable study that's using active drugs, uh, and I wouldn't necessarily feel let down by not using rituximab. It could easily be picked up at a later point. Manali, do you have a strong feeling on that? No, I completely concur with what you said. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. And we have another uh, wonderful question. I'm going to uh, for Dr. Kandar. Um, are CAR T and allogen neck 
transplant potential curative approaches to mental cell lymphoma? So that is actually an excellent question. Um, with respect to, uh, I think there are two parts to this question. The first one would be, is allogeneic transplant a modality to cure mantle cell lymphoma? Um, the answer is yes. Um, I think if there is one modality to completely eradicate mantle cell currently, um, it would be a donor bone marrow transplant or an allogenic bone marrow transplant. Um, unfortunately, not a lot of patients can get to a transplant, uh, partly because of functional fitness, sometimes because of age, sometimes because we're just not able to get the lymphoma in remission. Um, at the same time, when we talk about a donor bone marrow transplant, we have to be mindful about a couple of very unique side effects that this modality of care can cause. For example, Besides the chemotherapy-induced toxicity, it certainly is something that can cause a syndrome called graft-versus-host disease, which can cause diffuse inflammation and complications thus far. However, uh, the chance of that is certainly less, but if it happens, patients can substantially um, have some impairments in their functional quality of life. So we are very mindful when we recommend an allogenic bone marrow transplant, and we usually do so for our fit, functionally active, um, in-remission patients in order to consolidate that remission and then hopefully eradicate the mantle cell lymphoma. Have there been cases where after an allogenic transplant, mantle cell lymphoma has relapsed? Yes, there have been. Um, so although this modality is offered, the times that it has offered now has now been substantially going down. Um, with respect to CAR-T, that is an excellent question. I at this point, it is in the form of a clinical trial, um, at least at our center where we have taken patients to CAR-T cell therapy. Our patients have shown some excellent response rates. Now, whether or not those response rates are going to be durable, we are not yet um, in the know. The trials have been ongoing for probably two, two and a half years, so the follow-up data is rather short. Um, usually, we wait for at least five years to make sure if the lymphoma is coming back or not. So it would be a bit premature for me to talk about CAR-T being the curative strategy for mantle cell lymphoma, but I can tell you it's one of the most promising strategies in the armamentarium of therapeutics that we have for patients who have relapsed with mantle cell lymphoma. Um, so I hope that answers her question. Excellent. Thank you. That's really excellent. Thank you so much. And um, I have a question now for um, uh, Dr. Uh, Martin. Um, uh, so this is the question. Are there any clinical trials for indolent mantle cell lymphoma before any treatment has begun? Yeah, so that's a great question. As as uh, we, we alluded to or, or mentioned specifically, there are some people that present with a lymphoma that doesn't seem to require treatment immediately. For whatever reason, it's a lymphoma that grows very slowly. There are some predictors of that in terms of blood work and pathology information, um, but ultimately there's no really single marker that tells us for sure that this is an indolent lymphoma or not. The best way to identify an, a quote-unquote indolent mantle cell lymphoma is to watch it for some period of time, and if it's not growing very quickly, then we know that it's uh, not likely to start growing very quickly in the immediate future. There are no uh, actual clinical trials that target specifically um, these sort of slow-growing mantle cell lymphomas, at least not in North America. There is actually one clinical trial in Spain there's a pathologist in Spain, Dr. Elias Campos, and uh, uh, his group in Barcelona has done a lot of work with these sort of slow-growing mantle cell lymphomas, and they're uh, testing a, a regimen of ibrutinib plus uh, rituximab in patients with uh, what we call splenic non-nodal mantle cell lymphoma. So it's a sort of a, one of these variants of these slow-growing mantle cell lymphomas. We're interested in... Um, doing clinical trials in that setting at, at Cornell and have one looking at uh, ribavirin uh, led by a researcher here, Sarah Rutherford, um, as well as others, including one that's uh, specifically related to diet, interestingly. Uh, but these are relatively small trials, and I think they probably sh appropriately should be relatively small until we have a little bit more information about how to truly I identify an indolent mental cell lymphoma from the get-go. 
Excellent. Thank you. Um, and we do have one uh, phone question that's coming in, so we'll take that one. Thank you. Our next question comes from Kimberly S. Your line is open. Hi. My husband was diagnosed with stage 4 mantle cell in July of 2016. He started our MaxiChop about a week later, followed by an autologous stem cell transplant, then went to um, the rituxin maintenance every two months. He's 10, actually he's coming up on his 10th treatment of the rituxin maintenance, and they've decided that they're not going to do blood work every time that he gets the rituxin, but every other time. And I'm wondering what your opinion is on that. Thank you for your question. Um, Dr. Comdor, could you address this again in a general way? Sure. Um, so when patients get on maintenance rituximab, I think every institution has their own programmatic approach. What we do usually, and Dr. Martin can certainly chime in, but for my patients who get in here for every two months rituximab, uh, we usually definitely do a complete blood count. So definitely looking at the white blood count the hemoglobin and the platelets. I would say I'm probably more interested in the white count more than any other marker, especially if the patient is asymptomatic. Of course, if patients have any symptoms, then that would certainly trigger a more uh, detailed evaluation on blood work. It's also important to know that not... Um, Every time when we look at blood work, it's rather rare to detect a relapse on blood work. So blood work is usually not that helpful, but the reason I test a complete blood count for patients on maintenance rituximab is to just see that rare occurrence of neutropenia or a low white count that may occur in about 20% of patients getting maintenance rituximab. Um, of course, if patients have tolerated 10 cycles well, it is plausible and reasonable to suggest every other uh, rituximab infusion blood test. Um, again, programmatically, different places do it differently. I don't think there is a right or wrong answer, uh, but personally, I would want to know the white count at, uh, prior to giving every rituximab infusion. Awesome. Thank you. And Dr. Um, Martin, do you want to comment as well? No, I... I agree with everything Dr. Kumbh mm -hmm. said. Excellent. So, um, um, so actually, what we would suggest is you might want to go back to your treating healthcare team, um, let them know that you, uh, Kimberly, that you listen to this program and that uh, you know you would prefer that uh, approach, whatever, and see what they say. Or you know, you can have a discussion with them, um, uh, and you can also listen to this program again. I should. This is a good chance for me to remind all of you that the program is basically occurs now in real time, but it is available. After the call, um, it usually takes about a day, um, today being um, Friday, so usually it will be up probably by Monday as a podcast, and then you can listen to it again, and you can actually um, encourage your healthcare team to listen to it as well. Many of them do, and see if, um, you know, how that would apply to in terms of your husband, if that would be helpful. So please do, um, you know, do consider that. Um, excellent question. Um, and um, so the question for Dr. Martin from one of our um, online registrants. Um, my husband was diagnosed in October 20th, 17. He is indolent without symptoms. He is on watch and wait, but is, uh, is in bone marrow, but, it, but um, it is in bone marrow and colon. Is there something that could shut this down before it escalates? Um, how does one afford this treatment, um, such as stem cell transplant or new target drugs while on Medicare, which starts soon? Could you comment on the um, the concept of it being indolent and the watch and wait approach? Mm -hmm. So, so again, with with these lymphomas that um, seem to be growing relatively slowly, uh, multiple groups uh, now around the world. Uh, I think we showed it back in 2009, and other people have shown it since then. That that there doesn't appear to be any real uh, observable benefit in terms of starting treatment early. And so it's, it's an uncomfortable sort of prospect, right? I mean, the idea is that there's a lymphoma that's there that you know is growing slowly that at some point uh, may cause symptoms. And at the same time, to um, say that right now the risk-benefit ratio in terms of starting treatment may not fall in favor of starting treatment, at least as far as we know, that may change with newer therapies available. And as I mentioned, we're trying to learn about some of those newer uh, therapies to see if we can 
come up with uh, potentially better tolerated options that might uh, hold something in check. Right now, all of the approved treatments tend to be um, based on chemotherapy, and uh, I am not a, a big believer in giving somebody chemotherapy if I don't feel it's likely to benefit them. Uh, so, so my usual advice is to just watch it very closely, and, and when there's a reason to treat, to start treatment. Hopefully, as the uh, previous caller mentioned, there will be uh, more clinical trials that will help us to learn about uh, better treatment options. So far, it's not clear to me that we have any real way to change the biology of this lymphoma, and it's a pretty complicated lymphoma with a pretty complicated biology, and so I think you know, these kinds of research are going to be critical and, and support from institutions or, or foundations like the LRF are making that kind of research uh, possible, but it will take us a little while still. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and actually, there's a, a part of that question, um, um, Ms. Turney, if you'd like to just address it in terms of the uh, issue of the, um, the concern about cost, if he, if he does need care at some point along the way and um, with um, uh, with their coverage. So um, would it be wise for them to call the Lymphoma Research Foundation to discuss this and, and get help with referrals and things like that, and, and those kinds of concerns? And that's come up before on the call. So, Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned earlier, our Lymphoma Helpline uh, is staffed with uh, experts who specialize in um, both all of as all of the aspects of lymphoma, including mantle cell lymphoma, but also all of the supportive care areas that patients or caregivers um, may need help navigating. So um, if someone does need assistance finding uh, financial resources um, or helping to navigate uh, the insurance process, uh, our helpline staff can certainly assist with that, um, and you can call them at one 800 500 9976. Um, and again, we do offer um, a modest financial assistance grant to those who are in active treatment. So um, I would definitely encourage um, anyone who has any questions to call our helpline and they can connect you with the appropriate resources and ensure that you have the, um, the information that you need to uh, make the most important decisions regarding your treatment. Excellent. And, you know, I think that the reason the Lumpoma Research Foundation and Cancer Care work together is that, indeed, we each have resources and we each have a, a call center that people can call for help. But I would definitely start with the Lumpoma Research Foundation. But I, I would say you want to call, um, we're going to, at the end of this program, we'll give you um, all of the resources that we that are available that can help, and I think that, um, and also of course your healthcare team, because there may be members of your team that can also help you with this navigating these costs. So we recognize that for many of you on the call um, who live in the United States, for example, you may have concerns about cost of care. It may be true for people internationally as well, but you, there are resources out there to help you. Um, and so um, we know that that's a, that it's, you worry about the, the mantle cell lymphoma and then you worry about all these other things as well. So there is a supportive care team out there um, that really is out there to help you with those issues and concerns. So um, we wouldn't want anyone to leave the call thinking that, that you're all there by, you have to handle all this all by yourself. That is not true. These are, there are lots of people to assist you with this. Um, and Lymphoma okay. Research Foundation is a great place to start. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Carolyn. Just to add to that, for any of our international um, callers, uh, the foundation can also help connect you to uh, advocacy organizations in those countries. We do sit on a, a global lymphoma coalition and so have relationships with many different organizations around the world. So um, although we might not have um, information for that specific country or their um, insurance practices, we can connect you with an um, expert lymphoma organization uh, in your area. Oh, that's excellent. That's really uh, very important. Um, thank you. Excellent. Um, and we do have um, one other question here we're going to take before we conclude the call. Um, uh, one second, it is for Dr. Kamdar, but... Um, Second, 
is a little complicated question. Um, so um, for Dr. Kamdar, is TP53 deletion a worse scenario than TP53 mutation um, for evaluating the type of MCL? I've read conflicting answers to this question. I have a deletion of 17P and TP53 at chromosome 17P13. Uh, um, remains since free. So this is a very complicated question. So, um, uh, so I'm going to try to answer this uh, to the best of my ability. Uh, there have been, so for example, we do have other indolent lymphomas such as CLL, when we have seen that people who harbor 17P deletion or TP53 mutation, both of these patients do less favorably with chemotherapy, and these are the patients that do really well with ibrutinib. Previously, we didn't have a lot of options for these patients because 17P deletion or TP53 mutation makes the cancer chemo-resistant. Um, now, in mantle cell lymphoma, the reason the caller is probably have a getting conflicting reports is because there are conflicting ideas here. But the way I look at it, uh, based on the data that is available, um, it seems like TP53 mutation is less favorable. Uh, patients with 17P deletion seem to still do okay, but people who do have TP53 mutation, these are the patients who tend to have a more aggressive biology of mantle cell lymphoma. They tend to be more chemorefractory. Um, however, both these subtypes end up kind of responding rather well to ibrutinib. Now, how durable the responses are with TP53 mutation remains, um, you know, a matter of uh, clinical research, and that is our focus. Um, a lot of mantle cell lymphomas, which are blastoid in nature, which are aggressive mantle cell lymphomas, uh, usually that can be seen in patients who have relapsed. They eventually end up harboring TP53 mutation. So we usually want to make sure that besides novel therapeutics, we certainly look for other options that may be more durable um, in terms of efficacy. I hope I've answered that question to the best Excellent. of, uh, yeah. Excellent. And there is one, one more, actually. Um, I'm just going to put this one as well. Is it possible to get a treatment like a calibrutinib plus venetoclax outside of a clinical trial for relapsed disease? Uh, so the answer is no. Um, I would would not encourage that because at the end of the day, this is a combination that needs to be tested in an experimental, in a controlled uh, clinical trial setting. Um, just because two drugs work really well and ibrutinib plus venetoclax has shown to have great promise, Acalibrutinib and venetoclax may or may not show the same promise. It may show the efficacy, but maybe toxicities might be higher. So to doing it outside of a clinical trial setting, even if it is insurance approved, I would strongly discourage it. Instead, I would definitely have that patient seek clinical trial participation. Excellent. And um, uh, Ms. Turney, one question. There's, uh, is there a support group available in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia? And I have comments about that too, but I thought you might want to take that first. And just in terms of there, um, there are groups, of course, throughout the world, actually. But um, did, is that something they could call you about? or? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, while we focus on um, resources uh, here in the U.S., we do, as I mentioned, work with advocacy organizations around the world and have some really fantastic partnerships in Canada. Um, and so our helpline can help um, connect patients or caregivers who might be interested in a support group or um, in resources for um, specific areas of Canada, um, and they can help connect you to Lymphoma Canada or the Lymphoma Coalition, who is also based in Canada. So we can definitely assist with that if you call our helpline. And also, I just want to say that we do have these online support groups that are anyone can participate anywhere in the world. Um, so if you wanted a face-to-face -face group in your in in your, in your community, that would be something that you would definitely want to uh, call them from the Research Foundation about. If you wanted, if you're willing to participate in an online support group then you could contact Cancer Care as well. Um, so we will send you all those resources. Well, you know, we could go on all day, and you can see we have run over slightly, but these are really excellent questions. And I have to say I want to thank our speakers who have been outstanding, really phenomenal in today's program. This has been extraordinary. And all of the participants, these are amazing questions, and we literally could go on the rest of the afternoon because there are that many more questions. So I do want to actually... Um, kind of begin to wrap this up for all of you on the call. Um, I want to thank you all for your participation. 
I do want to let you know that if you do, and I know you all do have, there are many more people with questions, even those who've asked questions, I'm sure have a follow-up question as well, um, that um, that we definitely, for your questions, we definitely would recommend that you do call the Lymphoma Research Foundation because, indeed, they have a whole mechanism to really assist you with, um, you know, with your with uh, questions and concerns that you may have. And um, so I think that um, you would want to call the Lymphoma Research Foundation and you'd want to, um, I, their, their uh, phone number, well, their website is uh, lymphoma.org and their um and their 800 number is 1-800-500-9976. And again, you're going to get all of that. Um, with your evaluations, you'll be getting all of these resources in terms of contacting. We also do not want to sidestep your healthcare team. So we hope what you've learned today, you'll take back to your treating healthcare team and discuss it with your team, any questions or concerns that you may have. That's really very important um, as well. Um, and anything you've learned today, take it back to your treating healthcare team. And indeed, you can encourage them to listen. If there's some information you gain that you'd like your healthcare team to listen to, they can listen to the part of the podcast that, that came on, or you can, they can listen to the whole thing. Some of them do actually listen to the whole program when one of you asks them to do that. Um, most importantly, we would not want anyone to leave today's program feeling that you're alone. We definitely don't want you to feel alone. First of all, there are a lot of people on the call today, and there are a lot of resources for you out there in addition to your healthcare team. Um, use your healthcare team. Though. Realize that your healthcare team includes many people who can help you with many different aspects of your um, concerns, both in terms of your treatment decisions and in terms of navigating costs or figuring out what to do. There are many members of your team that can help with that as well. Um, so please know that you're now connected to all of these resources. Take advantage of them all. And I want to thank you all for your participation today. Um, you've been a great group, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day. <laughs>